Welcome to a Veterans Podcast, powered by Wisconsin Veterans Network, the show where we hear unique, inspiring stories from veterans all over. Veterans who've transitioned, who've overcome obstacles, and even those still struggling. We will learn all veterans have a unique story, ones filled with pain and triumphs, and we will learn no veteran is alone, no matter the path they took. We share their stories to help motivate and inspire the world, to help understand what it means to be a veteran, and most of all, we share to give them a voice amongst the noise. You can find us at aveteranspodcast.com to learn more and how you can be a part of the show. Welcome back, everybody. This is Kelsey, your host of A Veterans Podcast. Today we have Commander Juan Garcia, who is from the U.S. Navy. He served from 1991 to 2019, so lots of years of service. He started out enlisted and then went officer, and I actually served with him on board my first ship, the USS Cowpens, so I am super excited to have him on board. And I think, did I just say on board? Oh, geez. Anyways, I'm super excited to have him on the show, and um, I look forward to hearing from him. Before we get started, just know that today's show is sponsored by Wisconsin Veterans Network, an established Wisconsin nonprofit ran by veterans for veterans. Their mission is to provide guidance and support for all veterans, whether guard, reserve, active, or even a bad discharge, looking for any kind of assistance in the state of Wisconsin. If you're a Wisconsin veteran looking for an answer, whether a simple question about benefits or are currently homeless, give them a call today. You can find more information about them at wisvetsnet.org or at aveteranspodcast.com. All right, so we are going to give him a call. Hello. Good afternoon. How are you today? Good. Is this Kelsey? This is Kelsey. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. I'm so excited to have you on the show. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. It's not it's probably my first time doing something like this. Oh, well, that's great. Um, okay, so I briefly talked about you before we called you up and just okay. talked about how you served from 91 to 2019, which is fascinating to me because that's a really long time um but what um kind of made you decide to join the navy well i have to say honestly kelsey um it's one of those things where you know i was always encouraged by my mom and my dad uh, my dad served in world war ii when he was in the army um he never really quote unquote forced it on me as much as he probably played an influential part part of it was also just realizing um where i was growing up is when on the old cliche, there's really not much left here after you grow up and you either A, go to college or B, join the military. And so for me, my mom and dad, they really encouraged me to have a better life more than what the area from where I grew up with was going to be able to provide for me. And, and there was definitely truth to that. Um, since a very young age, though, probably fourth grade, um, I've always wanted to be in the military. Don't know why. There was no influence by Top Gun or anything like that. <laughs> but um but I will say, though, that I definitely wanted to be in the military and it probably didn't solidify itself probably till my sophomore, junior, senior years in um, in high school. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I, it's always interesting to me to talk to somebody who joined before September 11th because I feel yeah. like it wasn't as popular of a choice, if that makes sense. 
So yeah, it kind of does. I think a lot of it also just depends upon where where you're raised and where you know where how you grew up. Um, the other thing for me, obviously, was very much interesting to my my parents. Were well, what are you going to do for an education piece? You know, um, we didn't come from a rich family. You know, we were probably lower middle uh, middle class, and so from that aspect, the idea of going to college did exist. Mm-hmm. But the funding from a family, you know, definitely was not going to happen. So it had to be some form of a scholarship um, or some form of a grant or some form of a loan. And rather than getting myself into debt, one of the things I wanted to do was at least join the military, <clears throat> provide service to my to my country, to my nation. And then through that, ad, um, ascertain some form of a, an education benefit that the military provided. That's awesome. So how long were you enlisted before you became an officer? So I was enlisted for two and a half years. Um, I, I started off as a hospital corpsman, um, as a laboratory technician, and um, did really well. Um, I then applied for what used to be called the Broaden Opportunity for Officer Selection and Training, the BOOST program. Ooh, that no longer exists. <laughs> um, it's been absorbed by other subsequent um, uh, military programs as far as from education perspective. But it's similar to NAPS. Um, the, the Naval Academy Preparatory School, so okay. it's kind of the equivalency of it. Um, but through the BOOST program, I was able to um, uh, obtain a, an ROTC scholarship. So I went to Washington State University, go Cougs, <laughs> and um, from there I got my commission in uh, August 1st of 97, and it's been, you know, having not necessarily looked back, but I've always enjoyed the uh, career that I've had. Definitely not traditional in, in what many surface warfare officers would have had, Mm-hmm. But um, I've definitely cherished my enlisted time, and I'll never forget, you know, the the mantra from a lot of my company commanders going through boot camp, the chief petty officers met um, as a junior officer to say, never forget where you came from. And that's from not only where you grew up, but also, and perhaps more importantly for me, never grew, never forget that you grew up as an enlisted, um, enlisted person. And the people that you're going to lead you now understand where they're coming from. And that was something to definitely be appreciated. Yeah. And I think, I think, um, at least I remember when we were on the same ship, like, I think that's what people respected about you was the fact that you do understand the enlisted lifestyle a little bit more than just your average, you know, ROTC grad or something like that. Not saying they're bad, no. but you know, I don't know. I do understand. And, and, and you go back to that, um, one, thank you very much. Um, second, it was always my objective to at least show respect, at a minimum show respect to the, uh, the, the, the enlisted folks because I realized that I could never get to where I'm at without the enlisted support. You know, I know you guys always did the grunt work. That's, that's a given. You know, me having when I was a corpsman, when I was kind of enlisted, having to do that job, I personally enjoyed it because it was what I did. It was my practical expertise. Um, working in medicine mm-hmm. but when you became uh, when you become an officer you know there's a lot more and a lot less hands-on as much as there's a lot more guidance and direction but it's kind of hard to do that if you can't know where your enlisted folks are coming from um, especially with the mindset the backgrounds and just being able to um, what's the word I'm looking for be able to um, appreciate where, where they're coming from both mentally and also from um, an enlistment standpoint to me, that was very important. Yeah, I, I think that um, it shows even like other officers who were prior enlisted, um, the interaction between their junior enlisted and them is always so different, but it's it's a cool <laughs> cool thing to see. So 
because you were in before September 11th, I always like to ask the question of, and this one I, I didn't warn you about ahead of time, but um, <laughs> where were you on September 11th and how do you think that impacted your career moving forward? Well, you know, when you have, when you have an experience such as that, um, it tends, you have a hard time forgetting what, what was going on, but I'll never forget. It's just implanted in my mind. Um, I was stationed at the Naval Surface Warfare Center, Port Wyneme Division, in Port Wyneme. <clears throat> and, um, and I was basically going to, um, to school, not school, but going to um, the office. Um, every morning we always had quarters and um, we sat around this table. Well, around this table, um, we always have the uh, TVs on and, I, you know, waiting for the executive officer and the CEO to come in. And um, I'll never forget looking at, at the TVs and it was kind of odd. You know, everyone always has a description of like, well, it was, what movie are you watching? You know, it was very surreal, very unreal. And um, you, you couldn't believe it was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, to me, I would say it solidified why I'm doing what I'm doing for our nation. Um, you always have the conversation about, you know, given the ultimate sacrifice, which is one's life. And there's obviously the number of lives that we lost, not just on that day, but day, days moving forward um, and going after follow-on operations. And I, I wouldn't say that it really changed too much of who I am as much as it may have changed um, the solidification of why you're doing what you're doing. This is more than just um, coming into work, clocking in, clocking out at the end of the day. There, mm-hmm. There's more to it than just that. And the work that you do, whether it be at Port Wyneme, may be far different from the battlefield, but yet what we do has an influence, you know, second and third and fourth order effect down the line, which yeah. obviously is for the, for, the, for, the, for the sailors, the Marines, the airmen, the Coast Guardsmen that are going out and, and, and doing what needs to be done. Yeah, that's, that's important to see that transition. The, the person that we interviewed last week, he also remembers like the transition of serving before 2001. And then um, when September 11th happened, how different service looked from that perspective. So thank you for yeah. sharing that. Yeah, no worries. And I, I, yeah, I totally agree with that. You can definitely tell that there was a difference and just the, um, the basic principles of, of honor, courage, and commitment, you know, the, the, uh, the three core values of, of, of the Navy they meant something now more, more than ever. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's a good way to put it. Um, so then, you know, fast forward 18 years. Um, why, <laughs> that, that was a really quick career. No, why, yeah. did, why did you um, get out of the military? Was it your choice or was your time up or what, what led you to get out of the military? It, it was a combination of different things. Um, and it's, and the answer is yes to all of the questions you just asked. Um, back in 2000, well, first and foremost, I'm a, I was a surface warfare officer. You know, everyone aspires to be an EXO or a CEO of a ship at some point and then follow on major or, you know, major command, those kinds of things. Um, I would probably, you know me well enough to probably say that I'm not really beholden by what <laughs> is mandatory or what is hey you should be doing this i've always been the shiny bright object hey this kind of is interesting let's go down that road yeah i'm sure you remember i sure do and 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 in 2006 um a a very important thing happened within the service worker community Um, we finally got smart and realized 
that not everyone fits the mold and not everyone um, is going to be doing this. Uh, we were pretty much jack of all trades, but masters of none. And so what the surface Navy decided to do was develop something called um, specialty career paths. And one of them happened to be missile defense, which is the job that I started working on when I was in Port Wainimi, mm-hmm. which was the tour during September 11th, the tour before reporting to Japan on my first ship um, as a department head. And it was at that point that I made, you know, my wife and I, we were talking and we had decided that, hey, this is, sounds interesting. Um, understanding the, the uh, advantages and disadvantages of that decision, having talked to multiple CEOs, they're like, you know, Juan, there's no guarantee in, uh, in promotion. There's no guarantee with career progression. And I understood all that. And I accepted that risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to do something that was for me, you know, and for my family. And that's one of the things I've always told people. You may remember some of the conversations you and I had uh, when we would stand in CIC, <laughs> where it's like, this military, this Navy is not just for me. It's for you and for anyone else who wants to take advantage of it. It's a great opportunity, but you have to um, assess and evaluate what do you want out of it? Because in the end, the Navy in and of itself is a machine that's just going to eat you. It, it just, it's just designed that way, you know? Um, and there's nothing against that. It's just the way it's designed. And so the question becomes, regardless of your feelings, um, it's going to do what it needs to do because it's needs of the Navy. The real question is, what do you want to get out of it? And the question I answered was, you know, I want to spend more time with family. I'm not so much concerned about being an XO. I'm not so much concerned about being a CEO. I'm not so much concerned about the pay, but my career progression was based on how is this going to help me and my, and my family? Because in the end, whether you do four years, eight years, 12 years, a full year uh, retirement of 20, 30 years, whatever, everyone has to take the off ramp. Everyone mm-hmm. does. It's just a question of when you do it. So I made the decision to specialize in 2006. Um, now, fast forward, um, at some point, you know that the decision you made yesterday is going to come back to haunt you eventually. <laughs> and, and it did. And that's what it boiled down to. So um, in 2017, um, the Navy wanted to send me to um, uh, an overseas tour, which I was totally fine with and I was ready to do it. But there was a requirement that they wanted me to do that made no sense at the time, since I was never going to be going back to a ship. Mm-hmm. And that requirement was designed for someone to be a CEO of a ship. And so having, having gone for two years with the Navy back and forth on how we can either A, waive the, the requirement or B, trying to adapt or provide an alternative to, to the um, requirement, we finally settled that, hey, Juan, we, we can't do this. It's just the way it is. You're going to have to go and do this other tour or we have to do something else. But you can't take this job that we want you to take. I'm like, okay, well, guess what? I've met my requirements that I needed to do. I don't owe the Navy anything. And guess what? You, the Navy, you don't owe me anything. Um, I tried to extend for an additional year, but in the end, it just came down to where we couldn't come to um, an agreement on what would work best for them and for me as a Navy and as a family. And it was just time for, say, you know, I could stay in, but it would require me to, to um, separate from my family more than what I needed. I'm at that point in time, my, my family needed more of stability mm-hmm. and having to to either a get promoted to 06 which i got passed over for it was one of the, it was a decision that was kind of answered for me and mm-hmm. so you know having made having had that decision um having to decide to stay with my family 
was my number one priority, and it's always been my priority where family comes first. I'll serve my country and I'll do the sacrifice that I need to do for them. But in the end, your family has to be there. They're, to me, they're the number one priority. And so I finally made a decision and I just decided, you know, it's time for me to do my, uh, my 28 years and go ahead and move forward and stick, um, stick around with my family. And that's what I ended up doing. I don't look back at a, uh, in any, any way, shape or form in a negative way with the Navy. I loved it. It was awesome. It was a blessing. Um, and I would, I would do it again. You know, uh, I would definitely do it again. And I know that if it wasn't for the military, I wouldn't be the person I am today. It wouldn't have made me the person that I have, that, that, that I am right now, you mm-hmm. know, and my family ha- has enjoyed it. They really loved it. But, you know, we've all come to an agreement when I was talking to my kids, I was talking to my fam, my wife, and it's like, yeah, it's, it, it's time. Mm-hmm. So we were very happy to make that decision together. And um, I've never, I haven't regretted it, at least not yet. And I don't think I will either. (laughs) That's good. A lot of people do regret it, um, especially for as long as you have served or you served that, um, that was like most of your adult life. And to walk away from that, um, you know, with your head held high and for the record, you would have been a great CEO of a ship, I'm sure. But (laughs) (laughs) um. Did you, since you kind of had that two years of how can we make this work or will we not make this work, did you do anything during that time to uh, prepare to transition out of the military or? Um, absolutely. Okay. And what? Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. Um, I have always taken seriously the um, transition assistance program. They call it TGPS now, but at, when you and I were in, they called it TAP. Okay. And, um I've always recommended TAP to people. Um, I've always seen the mistake a lot of people make who are ready to either separate or retire. They take it when it's required for them to take it, you know. And people call it a boondoggle. It is. I'm not going to say it's not. <laughs> but it's a boondoggle that will get you screwed up if you, don't, if you don't prepare properly. And so what I ended up doing was I took TAPs three times. I took it five, at the five-year mark when I thought when I was going to retire just to get um, have an understanding of what are some of the things I need to be thinking about. Um, the second time I took it was about three, two to three years out. And that was when I was pay, paying more attention to what was going on. I brought my wife in um, to attend also all the entire five days. And then, of course, I took it one last time, which was, okay, I've heard about this before, but now I want to refine my questions and refine the things I needed to get done. And one of those things which really helps and for anyone else who you know who's thinking about transitioning whether separating or retiring your medical record is key um i think we take that for granted you always hear people say hey make sure your uh, medical record is up to date because it's going to help you with your va disability i think many um, retirees and separatees take that for granted um, in my personal opinion and i could be wrong but um, i I think you're right because the the clients that we work with the veterans here at wisconsin veterans network a lot of them never made copies of their medical record, can't yep. find their medical record, don't even yep. know where to look for it. And so yep. I think it's so important. And I even tell some of my friends who are still serving when they're like, oh, I'm going to get out. I'm like, make a million copies of your medical record. Make sure it's That's, ready to go. No, absolutely. And it's not just making copies of it, but is if you're going to be at two years out, I would say at least two years start thinking about all the injuries, all the pains, all the things that 
that is causing your body to break. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Because that all needs to be recorded into your medical record. And that is something that I took to heart at the five-year mark and started applying this information towards my medical record, getting seen by my doctors. Um, while I still had the opportunity, because once you get out, it's it. That's it. You are, you're locked in and trying to recover from that. Um, either will a be a difficult path to try to uh, um, resolve after you're out of the military mm -hmm. or B what's even worse is that you don't get the proper rating that you deserve as a veteran. Exactly. And, and that to me, it's important. Yeah, that's, that's incredibly important. Um, and I, I find it fascinating that you went to taps three times because we spoke to, um, a female veteran, I don't know, a few episodes ago, and she was very successful in her transition because she attended TAPS every time she was given the opportunity to reenlist. She attended TAPS before she reenlisted. Awesome. Um, and so she really did well in her transition because she went so many times, whereas I went to TAPS technically twice, and both times I didn't take it seriously. And so, so my transition was a little more rocky than most, <laughs> Yeah. but, um, that's cool that you had that experience and hopefully people listening will, um, if they're not out yet, take that into consideration that you can go more than once. So. No, absolutely. And I think that's kind of a misunderstanding, uh, a misunderstanding on, lot, on the behalf of a lot of military service members is that, Oh, I'm going to task because I'm getting ready to separate or retire. I can only do that if I've, I've made the commitment to do that. And that's not really true. Mm -hmm. If there's an opening, take it. If there's an opportunity, take it. And, and I definitely commend the, uh, the, the former female that you were talking about because it's true. You know, she was very wise to be able to take advantage of the opportunity to go when it afforded her to do that. Mm -hmm. And having gone that many, that the multiple times that she went to, which I can only assume, um, it, it paid her dividends. Yeah. Yeah, she was she's has a great transition story. Um, but I, I think too like hearing it from an officer's perspective that you found value in taking that so many times because I think often when you're serving, as enlisted at least, we're told that you're gonna have no problem getting a job and if you're an officer yep. you're gonna have no problem getting a job because you served in the military and you did all these things, but the reality is you may have been a, an amazing officer, but you don't know how to be a COO of a company. And Correct. you don't know how to work in a, um, you know, in a company atmosphere that's so different than the military. So it's interesting to, to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, yeah, I won't, I won't belabor the uh, the conversation as far as and holding up the uh, this, this podcast. But I would tell you that there's a lot of lessons that that I've learned um, since the two years that I've been in. Granted, I have an, uh, a, another job, which we can, I'm sure we'll probably talk about um, in a few minutes. But even in that, um, the other big thing I would say people need to prepare for is having a resume. And from the Navy's perspective, I can't speak really to the Army, to the Marine Corps, to the Air Force, or the Coast Guard. But I'm assuming they have something similar to what the Navy has, which is a fleet and family service center. And there's a wealth of knowledge, there's a wealth of information, and a lot of resources available to um, military military members, enlisted mm -hmm. and officer, where they can beef up and refine 
their resumes. And that is something that is huge. Um, if there was one mistake that I probably did was I didn't take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Even as a veteran, you still can. And I probably will. But um, that is probably something that we don't do as much as what we, what we should. <clears throat> yeah, that's um, that. It's funny you bring up resumes, too, because we see a lot here where I work now. And the translation of military service to uh, what would be understood in the civilian world is there are so many different words that need to be put in where military words were and translating a whole resume like that is it's tough work. It can be done by the right people, but it you definitely don't want to turn in a resume to a, a corporate company that solely talks about your military experience in military exactly. jargon. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. Um, so, well, you kind of just answered my next question about what is, um, what was some of the biggest mistakes you made during your transition? And you mentioned the resume. Is there anything else that you can think of? No, not really. Um, honestly, I, and I don't want to pat myself in the back, even though I kind of am. Um, I would probably say I really didn't make too many mistakes. Um, I think the biggest one that really stands out if I thought about that question <clears throat> excuse me, was definitely the, the resume thing. Um, I didn't probably give it enough attention that I probably should have. Um, I still have a resume, you know, don't get me wrong. But um, if I was to go and do some other job from what I'm doing right now, I would definitely have to um, revisit my, my resume and definitely take a look at it. Have other people take a look at it, you know, friends um, that, that you have, coworkers, who, who, whoever and whomever that will give you an honest um, assessment and be honestly, brutally critical um, because you're right. When it's when it's presented before a, a panel of members, whether it be corporate or, or small business, they're not going to be very nice about it. They're going to be very upfront. You know, they're not concerned about whose feelings are hurting as much as they're concerned about are we getting the right um, the right person, the right asset to fill this particular vacancy. And so that's probably my biggest mistake. But really, the biggest thing is the mistake if you don't prepare. And um, there's a lot of resources. Um, that I know the military provides, especially from a fleet and family service center's perspective, where, yeah, you, you can't prepare so that you don't have to experience the horror stories or the emotional and physical um, stressors, if you will, mm-hmm. of transition, because it is a big a, a step in one's life. Um, after 28 years, after 30 years, after even after 8, 10, 12 years, um, that's what you know. You know nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to prepare mentally for that and prepare emotionally. And as much preparation that you can put into it on, on the front end will only benefit you on the back end when it's, when it's, when you're now fully re, uh, retired or separated. That's, that's, uh, we could just stop it right here and be like, that is the podcast. That advice was outstanding. Um, <laughs> that was really, that was really great information. I think a lot of people need to hear that. Um, what would you say, is the hardest thing that um, you've gone through during your transition because you talked about like your whole life was the military, right? And, or your whole adult life. So what do you find that you struggle with now being only a year or so out um, that maybe you want to warn others for lack of better words, or you want to bring, awareness to for others so that they can kind of think on that um i want to answer that question in a different way um 
and maybe it's a plug-in for, for what I do. So when I, when I transitioned, um, retired, um, I, I became a financial advisor. And um, one of the things that, that as a financial advisor that I work with is a lot of the military folks. You know, that's our primary target where we want to make sure we take care of them and address a lot of the issues that, that they're getting ready to do. Mm-hmm. From my standpoint, um, you know, I have, I've had a financial advisor for so long with my family and I since 2003. And every single time we've talked to that advisor and say, hey, how are we doing? These are our goals. This is what we want to do. And it's always been important. Two years before, actually about a year out, actually, before retiring, you know, and I will say this, you know, to everybody, you got to have a financial advisor because one of the things it's important about that is your budget. We, we take for granted um, the fact that we are paid on a stable basis, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't make a difference. There's that level of guarantee, there's that level of income that is, is there um, for as long as you're in the military. And what I've come to realize talking to some of my clients who are getting ready to transition is asking them the one important, one important question. That is, what is your plan? What, what is your goal um, in, dealing with, in dealing with your budget, with your finances? Because if there is one thing that I have found that, that scares a lot of people is that they don't have a plan. Um, and in particular, you want to ask them to talk about mistakes is that they don't realize that, hey, I'm no longer having that guaranteed income. Um, I'm no, I don't longer have the benefits that the military once provided. And they're taken for granted because you just don't know about them as much. You know, it's not well taught, well educated in the military. And for me, as a financial advisor, talking to some of these um, sailors and talking to some of these um, enlisted folks and officers, it's interesting to hear them speak about, hey, we're getting ready to retire. Um, well, what's your plan for retirement? And, and many of them don't. And so from my personal experience getting ready, I can tell you that what I had to do to prepare financially for retirement was, I don't want to say drastic, but it was, wait a minute, I'm no longer making that 05 pay. Even though you have a guaranteed retirement, yes, but depending on where you live, you're going to be incurring taxes. Mm-hmm. And so the tax implication is another thing that I think catches people off guard and I've heard and I've seen and I've experienced some of the, um, the horror stories from, from clients, and, and it's heartbreaking. But um, preparation is, is what it's all about. And so, again, that, that would be probably my plug um, is for people, if you're getting ready to separate, if you're getting ready to retire, talk and speak with a financial advisor because the wealth of knowledge that, that they bring to enlighten and, sh- and put a spotlight onto what are, you, what are your plans for a financial future now that you're out of the military is rather important because it, def- it definitely focuses upon the latter, which is what's going to be your next job. What's going to be your next step. Yeah. I think that's huge. I think the a misconception about a financial advisor too, is that you have to be rich to use one. Right. Absolutely. And, and people think you have to have all this money. And um, I know personally, when I got out of the military, I, I was not in a financial place to be doing things like that. Um, I was, I just, I I was medically retired, so it was a quicker process for me, but, um, I know that people often who spent a lot of years in 
forget the part that the military gives you money for your rent or your house payments yep. or things like that. Yep. When you get a, a real world job, a, a civilian job, they don't give you, you don't that, that extra money. Nope. So it's <laughs> trying to to put that into the equation when you're looking for a job and looking for somewhere that, Correct. you know, and, and so I think that that's really great advice. Um, and I didn't know you did that. And now I'm going to uh, follow up with you after this podcast. That's great. Sure. Um, <laughs> No, appreciate that. No, and the one, and, and it goes back to the philosophy of, of, of the why, you know. Um, I was recently, I'll, I'll, I'll say this to everybody, there was a recent podcast, um, actually, no, it was an interview on YouTube that I was listening to, and I highly recommend people to look at this and review it. It's called um, Start With Why. Start With Why. Um, many times we had the mentality of, like, well, this is what I do, and this is, you know, what my job is, this is, you know, who I work for. And I have come to find that people don't care what you do. What people care about is why you do what you do. What's your passion? And as a financial advisor, my passion was two things. Number one, I wanted to work with, for the, mil work with the military. Um, even though I'm out, I'm still working with the military um, in a capacity of helping them out. I want to give back to the community that gave to me for 28 years. To me, that was extremely important. Um, so I'm, I am doing that one. The other question about the why as a financial advisor is because I've come to realize through my personal experiences, talking to, you know, sailors, sea warriors, you know, much like yourself, Kelsey, where everyone, I don't care how much you make, I don't care what your situation is, I don't care if you're single, if you're separating, if you're divorced, if you're retiring, or if you're happily married, if you have a little or if you have a lot, everyone deserves a financial plan of some sort. And it has to be tailored to what your needs are. And the biggest need that I see is people don't say this um, very deliberately, but it's very, to me, it's very subliminal and clear. And that is, hey, I'm getting ready to separate. I'm getting ready to retire. What do I need to do financially to prepare for that transition? Mm -hmm. And that's where I always go to. It's like, okay, let's talk about this. Have you thought about it? Well, no, not really, but I know it's coming. You're right about that. Yeah. It is coming. <laughs> let's 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 deal with it now while while you're calm and while you have a stable job and you know we can plan for the factors that may that may kick in. So yeah, that's, that's how I, that's how I kind of look at it. Yeah, I think that's really um, commendable that you do that. Only because in my profession we see a lot of homeless veterans or near homeless veterans because they didn't make the right money choices or financial choices as they were transitioning, which then just led into this big snowball effect of um, a continual problem. So I think that that's really great, and um, that's so cool, and um, I'm I'm kind of fired up about it. So I'm excited to email you after this. <laughs> cool. Well, cool. Um, I, know. I definitely appreciate that. Yeah, I, I think it's important. Nobody really talks about finances in TAPS class that I remember, um, they talk about getting a job and finding a career and things like that, which are so important. But I think yep. if, if you really had like a, a segment where you could sit down and this is what you're spending now, this is what yep. your, your salary is now or whatever, I think that that would be an eye opener for a lot of um, service members getting out. So I think that's important Completely to touch on agree that. with you on that. Question. So besides... Fleet and Family Support Center, did you find any other um, resources especially helpful 
during your transition? Yeah, well, we talked about one of them already, and I, I mentioned that before. My financial advisor. Um, that is, again, I'm not going to harp on it too much because I, I kind of already have. <laughs> <laughs> but other than free and family service, other than talking to a financial advisor, there's only one thing that does that comes to my mind. Um, and, and it's maybe is a resource, maybe it's not falls under the category of a resource, but um, the resource category I would probably say is a chaplain or a pastor. Um, kind of like the financial aspect of a financial advisor, the emotional tie of getting ready to um, retire, to okay. separate. It's a big change in a person's life. You're starting something brand new, and it's something that could be scary. It could be something that, that can be emotionally stressing. And talking to a chaplain, if you're in the military, or if you go to a church or have some form of a um, religious um, and spiritual uh, mentor, um, talk to a pastor, talk to a, a rabbi, whomever, to give you the spiritual aspect of, of what it's going to be like to retire. They may not be able to, they may not be military related, but just understanding that the stresses of life, mm-hmm. that's a huge one. I mean, I'm sure, and we won't talk about this, but I'm sure you have the story that, or you may have heard about the stories that go down the negative route mm-hmm. um, because they're not emotionally, you know, prepared on how that impacts them as an individual, but also their ability to provide for their family now that they're out of the military, um, which kind of leads to the second piece. And that is you got to be able to be open and honest and bring in your family to the conversation. Um I would argue, and this is just me, where if you're making a decision without bringing in your family, um, especially the kids who are who may be old enough to understand what retirement's all about, especially um, kids where they've done military deployment, um, overseas deployment, those kinds of things, um, they see dad or mom is, is gone for however long, you know, days, weeks, months. Um, that's that's tough. And so I I think they need to be brought into the conversation also. Um, I will tell you from my personal experience, even in a PCS, getting ready to choose where we're going to go next, whether it be with Japan or whether it was Korea or whether it was going to a small island, um, those those kinds of things, I I talk to my family, hey, guys, we're getting ready to move again. These are the choices dad has. What do you guys think? you know, for my two um, oldest kids, my, my two boys, they're right now in uh, third grade and in um, fifth grade. They're at the age right now they understand, but even at a younger age, probably two years ago, hey, you know, Ian or Graham, we're getting ready to move again. Um, what do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Um, as you're moving and you're PCSing, it, it's got to happen. That, that's a given. But just talking to them and preparing them. I think sets them off on, on a better path than, hey, we're moving now. Let's go pack up your stuff. And it's like, what? <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's the thing I think is the biggest resource because I've always felt where if your family is taken care of at home, it allows me to do my job on the ship. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if I involve my wife, let her know where the financial binder is at, God forbid something happens to me, I know with confidence that she's taken care of. And that she has a voice in the decisions that we're making as a family that are being impacted by the military, you know? Yeah, I think that's really sound advice. I think that that's really good to include your family. I think a lot of times people forget about the person who served family because we focus yep. on the veteran, which is great and important 100%. But 
these family members have been moved all around the world and they've experienced deployments in a different way, but they've still gone through those experiences. So including them is, um, is really important. So absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So this is the, the final question of the day. If you, (laughs) um, could give advice, if you were standing on a ship, during CO's call, and you had to give advice to everybody about transitioning out of the military. What yep. is the best advice you would give them? Um, we've talked about it already, but it's twofold. Um, you got to attend TAPS class. Make the time to do it, and make sure your medical record is sound and 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 locked up in, in a suitcase with a nice little bow tie on it, <laughs> so that when you when you get out of the military, there's no question that you've given yourself the um, and you got to be selfish about it. You know, this is about you we're talking about. Um, giving yourself the best opportunity to get the right rating that you deserve after serving so many years um, for your country and, and for your nation. It, that's very important. So it would probably be the two biggest things. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really been great. I think you've given us a lot of really good information. I think that um, your story is just wonderful obviously because I was there for some of it so that makes it great um (laughs) but no I I really appreciate you coming on and giving us a different perspective everybody we've had on thus far has been enlisted so to have your perspective as an officer I think is important especially as somebody who served enlisted um as well as for how long you served you know I, I think 28 years is um a really long time so <laughs> I think I, I would, it's... I would tell you this, Kelsey, um, one, first and foremost, thanks for having, uh, for, for inviting me. I, I really appreciate it. Like I said, it's my first time doing this, but um, it's an opportunity more than anything else for me to be able to articulate and be able just to convey to people what was important to me, um, not only as an enlisted folk, but as, also as, um, as an officer. And um, in the end, it really doesn't matter. We're all serving on the same, we're all wearing the same uniform, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I, I strive um, not to let that get to my head. Um, I'll never forget my, again, my company commanders have always said, never, ever, 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 ever forget where you came from because that will show your true colors and people will respect you or disrespect you. They'll always, they'll always give you the inherent respect because you weren't a car device. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you won them over with their personal respect and trust, which is important because if you're going to be able to lead, you got to be able to, um, work together as one as one team but um now you you've been great Kelsey I really appreciate uh, appreciate this and yeah it's, it's a great opportunity for for me to come on and just be able to chat uh, about old times too sometime yeah yeah definitely thank you so much and I will be reaching out to you soon okay appreciate it take care and, and god bless all right have a good day all right well that was awesome I think um we really learned a lot of cool information today and a lot of really important information about preparing financially for your future, as well as making sure, you know, you have your medical records and all that kind of squared away. Um, so thank you for listening to a veterans podcast today to learn more about us, to hear previous episodes, or if interested in being on the show, you can find us at a veteranspodcast.com. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Wisconsin Veterans Network, a Wisconsin nonprofit operated by veterans and serving veterans in need. Till next time.